How does design transform organizations? Why does diversity fuel innovation? What happens when you let curiosity guide you? I'm Bon Ku, the host of Design Lab. It's a show where we explore how to design healthier lives. Today's guest is Kevin Bethune. He is the founder and chief creative officer of Dreams Design and Life. It's a think tank that delivers design and innovation services using a human-centered approach. Kevin has an incredibly diverse career. He first started off as a mechanical engineer in the nuclear power industry. He went on to get his MBA, then joined Nike, where he actually designed footwear. And then he went off to the Art Center College of Design for more studies. He went on to leadership positions at top-tier consulting firms, and eventually he carved his own path under the banner, Dreams, Design, and Life. Kevin's new book, Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation, published by MIT Press, just dropped last week. Super exciting. Check out his book. Coming up on May 23rd and 24th, I'm going to be attending the Fortune Brainstorm Design event in New York City. You should join me. In 2019, I attended a Brainstorm Design event in Singapore. It was by far one of the best conferences ever. This two-day curated experience will feature passionate design professionals who will inspire and help you reimagine the future through design. Learn how design is being used to solve the world's biggest problems. Many of the speakers you can connect with at Fortune Brainstorm Design have been featured on this very show. I can't wait to see some of my favorite people like John Maida, Antoinette Carroll, George I, Rachel Dikas, and other speakers like Steve Johnson from Netflix, Catherine Courage from Google. As an exclusive offer for you, because you listen to this show, you can use the code DESIGNLAB for a 20% discount on registration. For more information or to register, go to fortunebrainstormdesign.com. Now, here's my conversation with Kevin Bethune. Kevin Bethune, welcome to Design Lab. I've been looking forward to this conversation and so honored that you're on our show. Honored to be here. Thank you for having me. I want to first start off with this amazing fact. At one point, you designed Air Jordans and... I love this because Air Jordan is actually my favorite shoe. I have right now in my lineup, I have three rotating Air Jordans. How did you get that job and what was that like? <laughs> so honestly, uh, with the Jordan team, it was a stretch assignment that turned into getting some shoes in the marketplace. So my career, I found design mid-career, you would probably say. I, I started as a mechanical engineer, worked in nuclear power, if you can believe that, for a number of Crazy. years. Crazy. <laughs> and... Fast forward after that product experience, uh, MBA to add the business acumen, that business layer to the background. So I came into Nike in a post-MBA capacity as a business planner and, and learned the language of business in that publicly traded company in that setting and helped support senior executives with earnings release calls and that type of stuff. But the, the product person within wanted to figure out, like, where's the cool stuff happening across the Nike campus? And so coffee chats, meeting people, and eventually found opportunities to stretch myself and, and show those product organizations I was about their, their stuff and passionate about what they were doing. And sure enough, the networking path led me to Dwayne Edwards, who at the time was the footwear design director for the Jordan brand. And he saw some of the creative volition I would execute for hobby on the side and said, oh, you actually have some raw skill here. I can work with it. 
and it's to, I just so happened to have a couple briefs without a home. Why don't you come meet me in the mornings? We'll, we'll commiserate. We'll go to our day jobs. And then you work on my stuff at night. So <laughs> over the course of a year under his mentorship, I would meet him at six in the morning. We would do our, do our thing. He was definitely a, you know, a, a critical mentor. He, uh-huh. he kept me honest to the task. And uh, he then started inviting me to the product reviews with the Jordan family. Um, wow. he, he even invited me to the receptions where Michael Jordan was uh, present. Carmelo Anthony uh, looked at my sketches on the wall. I mean, like these kind of things, these moments, he, he opened the door for me. And that was sort of my first taste of product design in the Nike environment. That's so cool. So you weren't even applying for a job to be a product designer at Nike because you were there from the, from the business <laughs> side. And then you happened to be a great visual artist and your, your sketches he saw and was like, Hey, why don't we incorporate some of these into some of these designs? Indeed. Very, very intimidating journey, but it, it just opened a tremendous avenue of discovery. Curiosity was a fire. And that, that door with the Jordan brand, and we've launched two shoes together that had my design credits against them. And that, that opened the other doors to stretch and, and help other teams across Nike with some you know design contributions. But there was a difficult fork in the road because I could have either clawed and scratched for another 10 to 15 years before I was credentialed as a footwear designer in Nike's eyes. Or Wait, really? <laughs> it takes that long to be, you have to have a credential? Well, just in the eyes of the sort of the, the perception of the place Got it. or who they would esteem, who would deserve the design title. Yeah, uh, It may have taken that long for them to fully credential me. Whereas at the same time I was sketching shoes for Dwayne, the world was changing outside of Nike. And, uh-huh. you know, we were seeing the advent of like Apple's ecosystem was coming into fruition. I was seeing design celebrated on the cover of business magazines and vice versa, business and design media. And I saw a little bit of myself in that convergence that was happening that I was mm-hmm. observing. And the other path that was sort of coming to light was I, I could actually go invest in my design education in combination with the business and tech background that I had before and really position myself at the epicenter of these converging disciplines. Yeah. And stand for innovation for the rest of my career. So cool. And you have a new book coming out. It's called Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovations, dropping March 15th. I already pre-ordered a copy. Can't wait to get it. Bless you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) For our audience, you can purchase and pre-order your book. Pre-ordering helps a lot. The website is Kevin Bethune. That's about B-E-T-H-U-N-E dash reimaginingdesign.com. So pre-order that book. Uh, It's going to be great. So give us a little preview of that book. One, what inspired you to write it and what's this book about? No, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share. You know, honestly, after a pretty weird career path from nuclear engineering to coming into Nike business-wise, leaving Nike with some early, you know, product design volition, I actually went back to grad school for design for you know, additional uh, studies. And you did and a master's up, of industrial design in California at, at Art Center College of Design. Yep. Yeah. In Pasadena, California, got involved with some incubator work with some LA business partners. And that was uh, absorbed by the Boston Consulting Group. So we, we created this incubator and thanks to BCG, we really scaled that platform. And I had the, the privilege of serving the growing design team as, as its vice president of strategic design. And through those different multidisciplinary leaps, you know, I was like, there's a lot of interesting learnings that 
like the, the average person perhaps wouldn't have had the, the privilege or the exposure to encounter some of the lessons that I had to face. And I was like, there's, there's some perspective here that could be valuable to others that are interested in understanding how, how design or even innovation can affect their career paths. And then at the same time, also for organizations, as they think about becoming more innovative, finding new sources of growth, like how could they build new muscles and transform themselves? Mm. And I, I think at the time when I was mulling the idea of maybe I could write a book, you know, I, I think I, there was a litany of frameworks that were sort of dancing in my mind that could inform a book. Yeah. And thankfully through some nudges from some incredible mentors in my path, the clarity around the book opportunity actually happened right at the start of the pandemic. Mm. And the MIT press ended up becoming the publishing team to, to really back the project. Really appreciate them. They are awesome. Love MIT <laughs> press. <laughs> so, so through the book writing journey, that, that early hypothesis around a book of frameworks turned into something different. And honestly, I think they definitely gave me the creative freedom to explore, you know, really tapping into like those personal and professional lived experiences that informed the chapters of the book. And it, the book ended up becoming more or less like a little bit more than half memoir. Oh, and, get out. And, and perhaps less than half perspectives that are more, um, I hate to say philosophically driven, but perspectives that are light enough for anyone to customize for themselves, for their individual path, as well as how they might have license in shaping their organization. So the book is a story of multidisciplinary leaps as a black man navigating corporate America, the lessons I learned, and then how design has now served as the tip of my spear on any innovation opportunity that I'm having the privilege of being a part of. And my hope is that the writing inspires folks to be more bold and how they leverage creativity in their career, how they mm. can understand design as a strategic imperative. And the last thing I'll say is that, again, coming from my experiences as a Black man navigating mm. some of these spaces, I do speak to that. I do speak to the importance of diversity informing and fueling innovation and how we as you know, rising or emerging leaders, especially those of us that come from marginalized backgrounds, just showing, showcasing the importance of what diversity can do to mm. fuel innovation. And for whether, whether you're coming from a marginalized place or uh, you're a leader from a majority, hopefully it, it sheds a light on how self-proclaimed allies can be better allies and actually yeah. serve the teams that they're cultivating. There's a lot there to unpack. Why don't we start sure. off with your your personal journey was was it often the case that you were the only black designer in a room in your journey it started with being the only black engineer you know as a as an engineer in the the nuclear power industry being one of few in the company one of few in rooms when we work with nuclear utilities being one of few professional you know engineers in that context navigating the mba experience and coming into nike again being one of few mm. So one of you, many, in many chapters of my career. Yeah. And is the book written for design geeks or an audience that has no understanding of what a design is? You know, it's a great question. By the title, one might think it's, oh, it's for designers, but honestly, it's, it's for everyone. I think it appeals to designers to hopefully give designers a sense of there's actually more avenues where you can make impact than maybe you're thinking initially. So hopefully it gives more creative confidence and courage to designers. For non-designers, I think more and more we're going to find ourselves 
in multidisciplinary rooms where we will have a designer as a part of the team. Uh-huh. Uh, that multidisciplinary convergence, I think the future is going to require more of it from us. Yeah. So better to empathize with our teammates or, yeah. you know, coming from different disciplines. I think because we navigate enterprises and institutions that are sort of informed by the very nature by design, like I, th- I think we can't get away from design, no matter what, where you're coming from, no matter what discipline you represent. And I think through that, a lot of people have become curious about like, what is design about? What is design thinking about? Yeah. How could that inform or inspire their path? And then I'm also talking to students in terms of how mm. they're thinking about the start of their career. Yeah. I have a lot of conversations with large organizations, whether it's in like med tech or pharma or health insurance. And there's this growing interest on human-centered design, design thinking, but then there is this gap of, yeah, there are some leaders interested in this and to see if it's going to improve their products or services, but then how do we actually implement it throughout these very large multi-billion dollar organizations? And you've had experience navigating those waters. So I'm kind of curious to know how does an organization that does not have design in their DNA, how do they become that type of organization? Yeah, I think, I think it starts with understanding that design thinking and design as a capability are two different things, but mm. related. There's connectivity there, of course. And I think it starts with recognizing that design thinking is a, it can be a helpful philosophy, right? To get everyone sort of to, to provide everyone an invitation into what is a creative process that designers themselves are familiar with, of course, but design thinking opens the door for others to participate in a creative process and to understand like how to discover, how to prototype, how to conceive of ideas, how to test those ideas. I mean, that's, that's all great. We can garner a shared language of what's important yeah. around serving people. But I think, unfortunately, there's still a lot of ambiguity in terms of how to really leverage design in a thoughtful way. And part of that, part of that is how can we also bring design into an organization and actually instrument it at parity up and down the career ladder within an organization and also learn how to allow design to help bring disciplines together to solve the right opportunities and challenges, but then also give designers the professional capability of design, the right level of space to be able to use its craft, use its subject matter expertise to develop really good, substantial ideas, concepts, prototypes, whatever it might be, so that they can bring something really useful back to the team room to accelerate the team forward. Mm. That's sort of where I, where I see it manifesting the best. Talk about uh, strategic design. Can you define what strategic design is? Yeah. I mean, for me, again, I think it plays to this notion of, of breadth and depth where like, again, we're going to find ourselves more and more in multidisciplinary settings with multidisciplinary teams. So how can we leverage certain design capabilities to, to bring those disparate disciplines together and have shared conversations, whether it's future visioning, whether it's through some design thinking activities, understanding the imperatives that are at play, perhaps understanding how trends and exemplars, if we bring different inspirations into the creative problem solving, how can that inspire new ideas and thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's perhaps where you know I come from, from a strategic design angle to help galvanize people around these opportunities. 
But then again, like, okay, then what design pillars do we need to insert as well? What professional design competencies do we need to bring in to ensure that good design is actually manifest? Yeah. How do you explain to corporate America why design is powerful? Like what are the superpowers of design for, especially for an organization that has not made that investment into mm -hmm. design? You know, I think we, part of that, we have to recognize the history of where, where influence has sort of been garnered and where perhaps certain disciplines have dominated the conversation. Mm. I think we can all agree that, you know, whether it's decades or centuries, folks from perhaps a business lane have dominated the course of companies and industries. And I would say more recently, you could look at Silicon Valley and say, technologists have also garnered, you know, a semi-dominant share of that influence to guide yeah. the course of tech platforms and next generation companies. Yeah. Like this whole term of like user experience design, user interface design did not exist before apps and mm -hmm. uh, websites. And arguably design, it might be perceived as could be being last to the party Yeah, to, to sort of guide the conversation, guide the influence. And only recently have we seen design manifest itself at the, at the strategy table or the C-suite. So uh, that's sort of like the history that we should keep in mind. But then as we move forward, now that design is arguably earning seats at the table, like what do you do with that seat once, once you're in it? And what do organizations sort of need to respect to give design that, that room to breathe and also inform like where that organization could go? And I think design offers a unique vantage point and dimension to the problem solving that is actually additive in conjunction with business and technology. Yeah. Can you walk us through, I think what design is very good at helping us think of a future state and maybe mm -hmm. marking a path to get there. I'm not sure if that's a correct statement or not, but then how do you as a designer help these companies think of that future state? Because so many times industries are so reactive to what's going on. They think about their next quarter and their financial statements. And mm -hmm. But then how do you get companies to go, hey, let's think about where you want to go in the future and how, how design can help us get there? No, I, I absolutely agree with you that design has a major hand in shaping the future, creating the future. I think that's what gets us out of bed as creatives. <laughs> and, and to your point, Unfortunately, most industries have to navigate the complexity of the short-term, mid-term, and long-term, and they got the quarterly earnings release to, to sort of hit. But I do think there's, number one, power in bringing multidisciplinary teams together and really prioritizing the ways of working across disciplines. Mm. You know, everyone will flash the multidisciplinary Venn diagram, usually, right? But still, when you navigate startups and large enterprises, the amount of time that people spend together across disciplines is still very much the exception, not the rule. And what I'm saying is you actually need to put more calories to make it like you have to, you know, put some bandwidth, put some time into that, add some capacity for multidisciplinary conversation. And when you bring those teams together in that way, I honestly believe the things that are going to come up with is the currency that will inform future innovation. Mm -hmm. So then, then what can that team do when you bring them together? I believe then that team is empowered to look at the future time horizon through the looking glass, if you will. And now a multidisciplinary team can look to the future through a multitude of different vantage points. I think we can, we can break down our stakeholders, the people that we claim to serve, 
whether yeah. it's an end customer, a patient, someone else, a stakeholder in the ecosystem around the end folks that we're serving. And we could really unpack the value criteria of each of those stakeholders together. Yeah. We can see that and see how different they are between actors and actresses. Also, we can start to poke holes and ask questions of like what's happening in the industry that we're navigating. Hmm. And not just like, not just take the status quo perceptions as a given, like, oh, wait, that's just how it's supposed to be. Well, no, we actually, we can ask questions and maybe our questions could provoke doorways for innovation. And then lastly, around that feature lens, we can gather trends, not just tech trends, but the full gamut of trends, societal shifts, economic imperatives, regulatory movements, environment, right? We could bring all those vectors into the problem solving as well. And then we can go find examples, the startups, the researchers, the luminaries, and bring all that fodder into the conversation. And now we're seeing the future through very rich eyes and opening everyone's aperture. I love that. Do you have some stories around how bringing in a multidisciplinary team has benefited a company organization through your your journey? Absolutely. So there's a a wellness startup down in Irvine that I I still work with. We've been working together since I started Dreams Design and Life a few years ago. And that's uh, your company. that's your design consultancy. Correct. Uh-huh. So I, I call it a think tank, Dreams Design and Life. Love it. And it's funny. And Dreams Design and Life is is a think tank that mixes both strategic design and industrial design. Strategic design, obviously, for all the things that we talked about, like bringing teams together to figure out new problems. But because my career had been a mixture of physical and digital, I'm all about that holistic experience across physical, digital, and service-based interfaces and affordances. That's an unusual combo because it seems like a lot of companies now are focusing just on product or focusing just on strategy, but not combining the two. Yeah. And the interesting recipe is working for us. You know, we, we leverage that breadth and depth. Okay. Let's bring, come together around problems and let's go deep on certain affordances where we have the, the strengths to execute and be a, you know, augmentation to their teams. That's worked well for us. And for the startup that I mentioned, Envoy, I-N-V-O-Y.com, that was one where the initial ask was, oh, Kev, you should go meet the startup. They need an industrial designer to affect the next generation of their physical device. Can you go help them? But when I met with the CEO, Dr. Lovna Ahmad, PhD in respiratory science, like she was an incredible a CEO. She was a scientist that studied like all the, the ingenuity that's in our, and all the science that's in our breath. And through her research, unpacked all the understanding that you could glean around someone's metabolism and all other factors affecting their health and wellness trajectory. And so upon meeting, and her company at the time was very, you know, science, very engineering oriented. And the research that they had done, it was incredible. But she was open enough to say, okay, like, how can we get started together? Mm. And we just started problem solving the future course of her business on the whiteboard. And through some iterations, I think she grew very curious about like, how can we bring all, all of our disciplines and really embrace design now? Because design has been a missing ingredient. How can we balance out science of our company? but also bring front and center the human aspects, the, the human support, the compassion that the, the Envoy and their coaching team provides to the experience. How can we showcase the softness of that human support with the hard objective science that's informing someone's wellness journey? Like, How can we bring that front and center and rejuvenate our brand 
as we mm. think about scaling ourselves. And she, thanks to her vision and our mutual sort of collaboration, we've opened everyone's aperture. All disciplines feel like they have a seat at the table. And we're really creating a platform that's compelling in the eyes of not only the clients that use the product and service, but the enterprises that are opting in to embrace Envoyas as a viable offering for their purposes. I love that story because it unpacks the magic of that creative process that often companies and organizations don't make room for that, right? But then you were able to create the platform for there to be that ideation, that discovery that a lot of organizations and companies don't do. Like, how do you convince companies to make space for that time? You know, it's funny. When I started the company four years ago, I, I worried about the pitch deck and how I'm going to sell my think tank to, yeah. to potential clients. But I learned pretty quickly that if I feel like there's a door that's slightly open for us to just spend time together around the, the strategy table or around the whiteboard, if there's, if I sense that there's an openness to have a, a multidisciplinary conversation and not just like jump to a brief or jump to a transactional ask. If I sense that there's openness to try some things and just through a couple of, you know, whiteboarding sessions, we would get to some momentum around what we could do together. That's like the best calling yeah. card. That's the best calling card. I'm curious to know your thoughts on designing the future of healthcare. So healthcare, a huge industry and healthcare <laughs> is an industry that maintains the status quo probably more than any other industry I've been involved with. And I'm not sure of your clients, but you're probably not a healthcare expert or design expert, but you've, you've dabbled in some healthcare. So getting your perspective, I think would be just a fascinating one on how can we better design the future of healthcare? Yeah. No, uh, I've extended my time with BCG Digital Ventures, the incubator that I mentioned that's within the greater BCG. We definitely, like healthcare was a major pillar. So I was definitely mm. involved or served teams that were involved with major healthcare endeavors with, you know, big pharma and other, other players. So I, I definitely gained a, an appreciation and a, a very severe humility <laughs> the stakeholder ecosystem that you have to manage. The most complicated stakeholder <laughs> ecosystem. <laughs> Absolutely. And empathy only went so far just by lip service. You really had to like show the proof in the pudding in terms of what that empathy meant and yeah. figuring out how to better codify that empathy strategically as well as execution wise within the products that we we're designing, the affordances we we're crafting. You know, you had to empathize with stakeholders that whether it's a physician that has zero time, like what should a portal look like for that person? Like, uh, and realizing what's going to move the needle versus not what's going to be sort of dismissed because there's just no time to even digest information or dealing with a patient that is dealing with, you know, the emotional consternation around a challenge that they're navigating. And you just can't put facts and figures in front of someone going mm -hmm. through that. So yeah, the humility, I think that I just understood about like where my limitations were navigating the BCG environment and those clients. And now with this business, I'm very sensitive around like what opportunities are right for us and which ones that are just not where I need to be honest about those limitations because of how severe, how much gravity there is. But to your question around informing the future, I think it's the same act of like what players have an openness to see themselves bringing different disciplines around the table together. Mm -hmm. How can we look through that looking glass toward the future horizon 
using all of our faculties. Again, breaking down the system of stakeholders that immediately affect their circumstances, their world. And especially when we look at the industry with you know reimbursements going down, <laughs> time and resources going down, yeah. like how, how can you know, providers actually innovate? How can they create space yeah. to generate more value and actually also incentivize and, and feed into different business models that challenge the industry and open up avenues for them to be able to care more effectively mm. to create greater impact and not have to deal with the, the machine of the industry, just grinding them constantly. Yeah. So playing into those spaces, has been pretty cool to sort of see you know, bringing in advanced technologies that could perhaps disrupt some of the, you know, value exchanges that happen in, again, a very complicated ecosystem where you have to be humble. But I, I still see the same process of partnering with those folks that embrace creativity and that are willing to open their aperture a little bit to ask questions, to feed creativity and curiosity. And then we go prototype something. Yeah. Well, I'm glad healthcare is not insulated from good design, but I do think we need more designers to have a seat at the C-suite table in the healthcare industry, which there are some bright spots there, but has not been embraced as much as other industries. So you are an extremely creative person. And it seems that that creativity is essential to your work as a designer and helping organizations think about strategic design. What are some tips on fueling your creativity on a day-to-day basis? I, I think at, at the highest level, just being conscious to feed my brain with as much diverse information as possible. If I have a creative itch on anything, making sure I follow through on that and actually you know, read that book or follow that person on Twitter that I find interesting and really dive in, into their work mm. to glean perspective and understanding. I think that's actually the the social media angle, especially even in a pandemic where so much of the in-person connectivity between us has been removed. But I guess the silver lining is thanks to digital, we are able to connect more broadly and have greater reach to thought leadership that exists around the planet more than ever. Like we we now have the time to seek that out. So yeah, just making sure the, the inputs are diverse of what I engage. I mean, pre-pandemic travel also was a big deal. Just making sure that even if I was taking a business trip to Europe, I would add on personal days to explore, to hit design centers, to meet my counterparts in other regions and figuring out what they were dealing with. Moving away from the typical ivory tower sources of truth that claim to represent world-class design Mm. and finding other pockets where design is talked about, maybe from different cultures and tapping into some of those rubrics, that's been helpful for me as well. Well, we were connected through one of those creative design leaders John made during the pandemic through one of his uh, virtual gatherings. So that was pretty cool. So thanks, John, for for that. Thank you, John. Your path is a very diverse and unique one. And I'm curious to know for the listening audience, if they identify themselves as a person of color, trying to Mm -hmm. break into this design world or trying to work within these large organizations and that they're see themselves as the only person who looks like them in the room. What is your advice for them besides reading your book? Hmm. Yeah. You know, thank you for that. I would say curiosity has been the defining thread of every chapter of my experience. And 
when I talk to my fellow contemporaries that come from marginalized groups, I hope the book inspires them to believe that there's still a lot possible for their lives, even when the world, even when institutions, even when enterprises say that something that maybe they're curious about isn't for them. You'll read in the book that, you know, there's been many moments where I've been confronted with a voice that said, you know what, I don't see that for you Mm. or the organization doesn't see that for you. But there was a curiosity driving the question. It drove turning a coffee chat into a stretch assignment moment to do something that was even outside of the day job to create evidence, not just for what other people perceive, but for me, more importantly, that I could actually step forward in this new lane of curiosity with confidence and credibility that there was something there, Mm. despite what people might've thought about me doing that. And so, yeah, I just hope that folks can still find hope and really lean into their curiosity. Curiosity breeds experimentation. Experimentation breeds evidence. And hopefully that's not just aimless, right? We have convictions that are buried within our heart that we need to awake. We need to awaken them to figure out like, what, what is the thumbprints that we can leave on this planet before we leave it, <laughs> mm. right? Sometimes it's hard to be curious. It takes a little courage to be curious. How did you overcome some of these challenges in your life to remain curious when there were roadblocks there? Mm-hmm. Honestly, despite what was happening within the teams I was a part of, departments or organization, you could still look outside and say, wow, that, that problem is still sitting over there. That person is still being affected negatively because no one has solved that challenge that they're dealing with. Or this industry is in a bad shape because no one has opened the aperture to solve that challenge. And I think there's like people that will want to affect that. They want to affect change, but they're, they're spending so many calories, so much time navigating their own intercompany politics or feeling like they don't have permission to speak beyond their immediate role or Mm. the title in their business card. And again, those problems are still waiting there, waiting to be solved. So I guess I grew tired of, you know, sort of indirectly or directly being told to know my place and just stay in my lane. Yeah. Like, no, I, you know, I I do want to like connect the technical stuff that I'm learning as an engineer with the business paradigm so that I can affect change more strategically leveraging my tech background. Eventually, when I see the power of creativity at Nike and places like that, like I want to affect the customer experience, what people are going through. But I, I need to shore up my creative legs to be able to do that. But I don't have to abandon my business and tech background either. So just realizing like what's possible and acting on it. Are you surprised now of the work that you're doing? I'm thinking about growing up, did you always want to become an engineer? Or did you think that I'm going to have the securitist career path jumping into all these different industries. Of course, it's easy to say now, but there there was absolutely a a lot that I didn't know at the time. I just knew that I had a creative itch. I I, I loved to draw during youth, but any notion of design or innovation was so far from my worldview at the time. So you didn't grow up with a family of designers or had friends who were designers growing up? More dominantly from the business side of things, that was my family. And we were in the heart of, I was raised for the most part in Down River, Detroit. So heart of big auto, all the neighbors were business people or engineers worked for big auto. So like the notion of design was almost into the realm of art. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. coming from a middle-class family where my parents were sacrificing so much to, to even like see the miracle through of sending their kids to college. Like that was like a huge, so there had better have been a pragmatic job waiting on the other side of college. Than investment. <laughs> <laughs> so engineering made more pragmatic sense. Like, yeah. okay, I, I could draw as an engineer. I could connect it to math and science and computers. So that was like the first calculated bet. Yeah. And it, it was a great foundation for my career. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But other curiosities entered the equation over time. I love that. My last question is any take-home, final take-home messages for the listening audience? I think if the last 24 months has shown us anything, is that change affects us all. Mm-hmm. And even if you're happy in your lane and your corporation or wherever you might be, the world could change in a dime. If not, change is happening quicker and quicker and quicker. So I think it serves us all to be more curious, to take some bandwidth out of our day to experiment and lean into that curiosity, whether you're reading a book, having a coffee chat with someone different or making an experiment in your garage, it all will lead to somewhere. And usually, hopefully your convictions will bubble through that journey where you're going to you lean yourself into an avenue where you can affect change to help us all create a better future. So the more of us that do that, lean into that, we'll be better for it. I love that. Kevin, I'm a huge fan. I'm super excited to read your book, Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. You could pre-order that. It drops March 15th. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, the honor was mine. And I think your background's awesome and the work that you and your team are doing, that's phenomenal. So uh, it's an honor for me to be here talking with you. Thank you again to our sponsor for this episode, Fortune Brainstorm Design. Remember, use the code DESIGNLAB for a discount on event registration. Go to fortunebrainstormdesign.com to learn about the conference, the agenda, and to register. And please let me know if you're going to go there. I'd love to connect with you. Sign up for our newsletter. Every week we'll send you some cool stuff to read. You can find it on our Twitter account, which is at DesignLabPod, or you can find the link right here in the podcast show notes. Kevin Bethune can be found on Twitter and Instagram. His handle is at Kevin Bethune. That's spelled K-E-V-I-N-B-E-T-H-U-N-E. And reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram. I can be found on Twitter at B-O-N-K-U and on Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Remember, if you get a chance, please open up Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us five stars. Leave us a review. Design Lab was produced by Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover design by Eden Liu. See you next week.